So as you got to see in that video, we're talking about one in, in 30,000. So our Lenten journey uh, this year is going to focus on crucifixions and really one crucifixion in particular. But just think of that number, 30,000. Lots of executions happening in the Roman Empire and yet one, one crucifixion stands out and that's the crucifixion of Jesus. This year we're going to take a look in our Lenten series at that truth, why one in 30,000 is so amazing. And I want to give you a little bit of a point of reference. So I looked up some of the death row statistics here in the United States of America. Would you be surprised to know that since 1976, there have only been 1,500 or executions, I almost said crucifixions, I don't think they were crucifixions, executions in the United States, that's 5% in the last 50 years of the 30,000 estimated in the Roman Empire. Right now on death row at the end of 2019, approximately 3,000 people are waiting on death row in the United States. That's 10% of the total of 30,000 annual in the Roman Empire. That's a pretty big number when you think about it. So why? Why is Jesus' execution so different? Why was his crucifixion so important, so special, so amazing? We're going to let Jesus tell us in his own words. Seven words Jesus spoke from the cross that we know about, seven words that are recorded in the Gospels of Jesus on the cross. And so tonight we're going to look at the first one found in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Now I suppose we could simply say it's pretty amazing as someone's being executed, nailed to a cross, that it's Amazing that he would say, Father, forgive them. But I think if we back up just a few hours to the start of all of the things that happened to Jesus, Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, it takes on even more meaning. So let's just review the last hours of Jesus' of Jesus life. Go back to Thursday night. He's having dinner with his disciples, right? A Passover meal the last meal that he was going to eat with them. He institutes his supper and following that meal, Jesus heads to the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember that in the Garden of Gethsemane, he went deeper into the garden and he poured out his heart and soul in prayer. The Bible goes so far as to tell us that, that there was sweat, that was drops of blood that were coming from our Savior's head because he was asking his Heavenly Father that if this cup could be taken from him, would there be another way? Following his prayers, he was betrayed by Judas, one of his very close followers, one of his disciples, and he was arrested. It was at that point that all of the other disciples who had promised they would never, ever forsake Jesus, they would never leave him, they all abandoned him. And that started the travesty of justice that happened late that night and into the next morning as Jesus underwent two trials. First before the Sanhedrin and then the next day before Pontius Pilate in the morning. At those trials, not only was Jesus not given fair trials, he was beaten. He was mocked. He was spit on. He was flogged. He had a crown of thorns smashed into his head. And then the next morning, when the people shouted, crucify him, crucify him, Pilate handed him over to the Jewish people to crucify him and Jesus needed to carry his own cross 
to the place of the crucifixion. As Jesus was struggling under the weight of that cross, he couldn't even make it all the way to the hill of Calvary. Someone else had to carry the cross for him. And when Jesus arrived on Golgotha, he knew what was next. He knew what he was about to suffer. Not just the pain of crucifixion, but the very agony of hell as God left him, forsook him on that cross, even though Jesus had done nothing wrong. Think about this. Jesus arrived at that hill to be crucified, tired, completely wiped out from not having slept that whole night. He arrived at that hill most likely very dehydrated, sweating and bleeding. He arrived at that hill most likely hungry because he hadn't eaten anything since the previous evening. Jesus' body was beaten, it was bloodied, he was in a weak state. Who could have blamed Jesus if every one of his thoughts was all about him surviving the next second or the next minute? But that's not what Jesus did, is it? Let me give you a little example. You might remember this. Just a couple of years ago, there was a certain candy bar that came out with this slogan, right? You aren't you when you're hungry, right? Maybe you remember some of the advertisements, people getting kind of angry when they're hungry and then they eat the candy bar and oh, all of a sudden everything is all better, right? I think there's a new word for that that I just learned recently, hangry, right? If, you, if you're hungry and angry at the same time. Yeah, that's just if we haven't eaten for a couple of hours probably. You know how that is, right? If, you, if things aren't quite right in your world, if you're hungry, if you're tired, if things aren't going well for your day, it's really, really hard to think of other people before you think of yourself. It doesn't come naturally to us, does it? We are not naturally selfless. We are naturally self-absorbed. And so putting other people before ourselves, thinking of other people before we think of us, that doesn't happen very easily at all. Now put that all together with what Jesus had suffered Monday, Thursday evening into Good Friday morning. If there was anyone who had a right to think about himself before other people, it was Jesus. But that's not what Jesus did. When he got to the site and when the executioners began that execution of Jesus, his thoughts were not about himself, but he was thinking about others. Father, Forgive them, he said. Forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. Can you imagine what that sounded like to Jesus' executioners? I'm sure they had a lot of things said to them as they were putting people to death as executioners, as Roman soldiers. Maybe some insults were hurled at them, maybe even some curses from time to time. But forgive them? How different that must have sounded to their ears. And yet, here they were, hammering spikes into Jesus' hands. Hands that had only, had only helped other people, had only fed them, healed them. Hands that had only blessed people, countless people, in ways that the Gospels record for us. And then they drove nails into Jesus' feet. Feet that had walked a path of righteousness, a path of holiness in your place and mine. They didn't know what they were doing, but those executioners were putting to death the author of life. 
Though Jesus had done nothing wrong, he was dying for the sins of the whole world. As we think of Jesus dying on that cross, it is truly amazing that he speaks those words, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. In that word forgiveness, there's a beautiful picture. It is actually a picture word in the original language, the original Greek. The word simply means to send away, as if sins were cast off into the distance, forgotten about, let go completely. And that's what Jesus is praying for his executioners, to send them away, send their sins away. That's exactly why Jesus was on that cross. That was the reason Jesus came, to win forgiveness of sins, not just for his executioners, but for you and for me too. So when you hear those words tonight, when Jesus says, Father, forgive them, he's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. Those words are for us to hear. Those words, as Jesus says, Father, forgive them, Jesus is saying those words to intercede for us. That's Jesus talking to the Father on our behalf. Forgive them because I'm taking their place. That's Jesus defending us before his heavenly Father, saying, Father, forgive them because the price for sin is being paid by me on this cross as my blood is shed. It's why God, through the prophet Jeremiah, could promise this, I will, will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. That's because Jesus went to the cross, because he said, Father, forgive them. And so we think about that forgiveness of Jesus, forgiveness that is for each one of us as well. That's right, friends and Jesus, tonight you sit here and Jesus says those words to you, Father, forgive them, we are forgiven. All sins, all guilt, all the shame of our sins erased completely as Jesus suffers and dies on the cross for you and for me. Quite literally, your sins have been sent away Gone forever, never to come back. Sent away by a heavenly father who accepted Jesus' sacrifice for you on your behalf. And you stand before him holy and righteous. That's a change that God has made in you and me. And that change makes our lives different too, doesn't it? It's what allows us to say, yes, I can forgive others. I can forgive others because the grace of God that has touched my life, the grace of God that forgives me, allows me to be gracious and forgiving to those who wrong me, who sin against me. Just consider for a minute the peace that you can bring to other people by offering them forgiveness, by accepting the forgiveness that they offer you. Just think about the peace that you can bring to yourself when you forgive others, when you let go of the things, the grudges, the, the anger that sometimes we hold on to and let God be the one who judges. Let God be the one who decides. Offering that forgiveness frees us up to love others as Jesus loved us first. It's the very encouragement the Apostle Paul gave us through Ephesians chapter 4 when he wrote this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. How about a couple of quick takeaways from our first Lenten sermon tonight? First of all, number one, even in his extreme suffering, Jesus never lost sight of his mission. Forgiveness for sinners. That's why Jesus went to the cross. His message, Father, forgive them, is for you and for me. 
And then secondly, because we have been forgiven, we strive to forgive one another. As we see the the debt of sin that Jesus has canceled for us, as his blood was shed for us, the very blood we receive in the Lord's Supper this evening, we can then be kind and compassionate and forgive one another. I told you there was a picture in that word forgive in the New Testament picture. It actually goes back to the Old Testament. And people who heard the word that Jesus was using for forgiveness would would have this mental picture come to mind. It goes back to a special day in the Old Testament. If you want to read about it this week or next week sometime, it's in Leviticus chapter 16. It's the account of the Day of Atonement. That was a special day, a special religious day on the Jewish calendar. And what happened that day involved two different goats. One goat was sacrificed and the blood of that goat was taken into the very inner sanctum of the tabernacle and then later the temple. And some of that blood was sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant as a sign that before God, sins were forgiven. Do you happen to remember what happened to the other goat? The other goat had the priest put his hands on the goat confess the sins of the entire nation of Israel. And then that goat was taken off into the wilderness, literally sent away. As if to say, those sins are gone, they're paid for, and they aren't coming back. That was the picture on the Day of Atonement. And it's that very word that Jesus uses to let you and me here tonight. Father, forgive them. Send sins away never to be heard from again, gone completely, wiped clean as you and I stand before God, holy and blameless. Yes, our sins have been sent away. Father, forgive them, Jesus says. They're forgiven because the Lamb of God, Jesus, takes away the sin of the world. That's all sins. That's our sins. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.